When you grab your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Psalm 103. We are, we're looking at it. We've just had it on the screen just to, just to listen to. Uh, Psalm 103 is, is another one of David's psalms. Um, we think David wrote at least 70 of the psalms that we have in our Bible. And really interestingly, just as a, a little side fact, we don't get it in the English translation, but Psalm 103 is actually a, it's a type of acrostic. If you know what an acrostic is, each line is, is a different letter. So, you know, you'd have, um, uh, you know, rainbow, for, for example. You could make an acrostic for rainbow. Richard of York gave battle in vain and t- tells you the colors. So Psalm 103 is an acrostic where it goes through the alphabet. Um, so uh, a lot of acrostic poems in the Psalms will start with the, the first letter in Hebrew and they'll go down right through to the last letter. Now, this isn't a true acrostic because it's not in alphabetical order, but it does, every line starts with a, a different letter of the alphabet. And the, and the idea of that is, is what David's doing is he wants to use every letter of the alphabet because he wants to show completeness. He wants to show God's complete. He wants to show there's nothing missing about God. Everything we need is found in God. And if you go through this psalm, you'll see this declaration that, that God is complete. God is perfect. I've just picked out some key verses here. He completely forgives us of our sins. He can heal our disease. He gives us eternal life. He treats us with goodness. He gives justice. He's compassionate, merciful, patient. He doesn't remain angry with us. His love is immeasurable. He removes our sin from us. He's a father to us. He knows our weaknesses. His kingdom is everlasting and it covers everything in creation. I could sit down right there. Because in, those, in that psalm, we get the completeness of God. But it starts with these words that are they're repeated at the end, a kind of a, a, a bookend to the psalm. Let all that I am praise the Lord. This psalm begins and ends with praise. It's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of worship. And, and notice what David says. He doesn't say, let my Sunday self praise the Lord. Let my happy self praise the Lord. Let myself, when I feel like it, praise the Lord. He says this, let all that I am praise the Lord. Let every part of me, every part of me, let every part of me praise God, my body, my mind, and my soul. What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. All your mind and all your strength. You know, God wants all of us. He wants all of us to worship him. We worship him with our thoughts. We worship him with our actions. We worship him with our choices. And we do it actually with all the strength we've got. Because God wants all of us. And whatever situation we're in, we, we, we choose to worship God with all we've got. And, and I want to be honest, how many times when we're worshiping, we're, we're kind of here going... Here I am to worship, but my mind's on what's for dinner. <laughs> or, or sometimes we forget to bring our bodies. We forget to bring our bodies, and the Bible talks time and time again about lifting our hands in worship, and we're stood there. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And we look like we're waiting for tooth extraction. And the Bible says, bring your body, let all that I am praise the Lord. Can I I tell you this? If it's not costing you something, it's not worship. Worship has to cost 
something. David says, let all that I am praise the Lord. Worship doesn't work unless we bring our whole self, every part of us. And I just want to say this. I want to encourage you. We normally say this in January, but I'll, I'll say it now because it's true now. If, if, you, if you choose today to, to go all in with God, to give him everything, I promise you this will be the best year of your life. If it's the best year of your life spiritually. I promise you, if this is the best year of your life spiritually, this will just be the best year of your life. And I want to encourage you in that. that Give God 12 months. Even if you're not sure, give God a year. Give God one year of your life and say, okay, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to serve. I'm going to worship you with everything I've got. And just see the difference it will make in 12 months' time. I promise you, you won't know your Self. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have trouble, by the way. It doesn't mean you're impervious to anything wrong going in your life. You know, things happen. Cars break down. People get ill. That, that is, that is, so can I tell you this much? The world isn't perfect because people still put lemon in cheesecake. <laughs> Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But he also said this, but I leave you my peace. My peace I give you. Look what James says. Come close to God and he'll come close to you. Now, James doesn't hold back, by the way. If you were in our Bible studies just before the summer, we looked through the book of James and James does not mince his words because he says this, purify your hearts. And this is the ouch moment. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Humble yourselves before God and God will bless you. He'll lift you up in honor. What what happens? You've got to make that first move. You've got to come close to God. Then he'll come close to you. You've got to give all of yourself, and then God will do something in your life. And it it kind of leads naturally into the next part of this this psalm. So I think this psalm split up into three sections. First section is this, that, that we remember the works of God. We remember God's works. You see, when, when we worship, part, part of our worship is choosing to remember what God's done for us. So, so in the moments when I'm unsure, I remember the times God made me sure. When, when I'm anxious or afraid, I remember the times God gave me strength. Or I remember the times God gave me peace. When, I, when I'm sad, I remember the things God has done to bring me joy. David says this, may I never forget the good things he does for me. Another translation says, forget not his benefits. There's a call to remember the goodness of God. And and David says, listen, don't ever forget the good things God has done. And and it gives us a list. And if you look closely, it's really, really interesting because it's not just a list. Actually, it's a sequence. Because David gives us in five verses, he he gives us the whole story of God's redemptive plan. He does it in five verses, incredible. He says this. He says, remember, he forgives all my sins, and he heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. So, so anything you've ever done, anything you've ever thought, anything you've ever said that, w- that was wrong, God says, I'll forgive that. In fact, God says, anything that you ever did that would deserve a punishment, he says, I'll, I'll take that punishment off you, and I'll forgive you. He, he redeems us. He literally, the, the, the word there, literally, he buys us back. And, and someone said once that, that hell is a place that people go to pay their own bills. I don't know about you, but I'm happy having my bills paid for me. But God doesn't just do that. He doesn't just forgive you of sin. Actually, he heals us of the effects of sin. 
You know, when, when sin entered the world, so did sickness, so did disease. But when, when Jesus comes back and he ushers in the new earth, there won't be sickness. There won't be pain. There won't be suffering. There won't be disease. Now, I, I totally believe God heals today. Totally believe. I've, I've seen it. I've, I've experienced it. And I know that individually we might all have a different uh, experience of that. But can I tell you, I don't know why God doesn't heal everyone. I don't know why. But what I do know is when we all get to heaven, we'll be healed. And in the meantime, God is in that process of, of rescuing us from the power and the presence of sin in our lives. One of my, one of my favorite uh, texts in the Bible is Exodus, where God says to, to the Israelites in Exodus, he says, hey, listen, I'm the Lord. I'll free you from your oppression. And he's talking about Egypt. And he said, I'll get you out of that. And I want to suggest as well that Egypt wasn't just a country. Egypt was a mindset. Egypt was a metaphor for sin. It was a, it was a metaphor for worshipping anything that wasn't God because that's what sin is. You know, do you know why there's an I in the middle of sin? Because it's all about me. It's when we put ourselves in the middle and not God. And, and then God says, listen, I'll free you from that and I'll rescue you from your slavery. And, and it looks like the same thing. And God says, no, I'm going to get you out of Egypt, but then I'm going to get Egypt out of you. All those bad, habit, that, those bad habits you've picked up, all the sinful culture you've been surrounded by, it's actually all soaked into you and you, you don't realize it. And, and I, was, I was thinking about this, it's like a sponge. You know when you leave a sponge in water, eventually that sponge is going to soak up the water. And then you take the sponge out. Now, what happens? The sponge is out of the water, but the water's still in the sponge. And sometimes there's a process, and sometimes God has to give us a squeeze. And he'll squeeze that water out. And that's what God did with the Israelites in the wilderness. It was 40 years of squeezing. 40 years of squeezing all that bad culture out. And he says, listen, I'll, I'll do the same for you. I'll get that out of you. And then he says this, I'll redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I'll buy you back. I'll set you free. And part of redeeming something is actually to put it to use. So, you know, I don't know who remembers ESO tokens. Who's old enough to remember ESO? Tiger points, they were called. Yeah. Tiger tokens. When you'd have to, you'd have, you'd have to buy, you know, six million liters of petrol. <laughs> and then you'd have enough tiger tokens for a key ring. But that's the idea. You would redeem them. You'd, 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 you'd put them to use. So when God redeems us, he gives us a purpose. He puts us to use. He gives us a new direction. But he doesn't stop there. David says this. He says, God crowns me with love and tender mercies. Some translations say loving kindness. And that word comes up four times in the Hebrew, and, and um, it's the Hebrew word chesed. And it means goodness or kindness. And actually, David uses it throughout this, this psalm. He says, listen, he redeems me from death and crowns me with chesed in, in verse 4. He uses it again in verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with chesed. Verse 11, his chesed, <laughs> his chesed his, his unfailing, I'm just going to say unfailing love, um, towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens. Verse 18, the love, the chesed of the Lord, it remains forever with those who fear him. And God crowns us with this love. You know, just like a crown would signify royalty, there's, there's a metaphor here that we wear a crown that signifies God's love over us. 
that signifies God's grace and his mercy on us. David goes on, he says, he fills my life with good things. Can I tell you, it's only God can fill your life with good things. The world can fill your life with nice things. Things that tick a box, you know, nice car, nice house, nice, and all that's nice. I don't know if anyone remember the fast show. Nice. And it is, and it's all nice. But how many of us know we go and buy one car and then five minutes later we see a better one? Or, you know, I love my house, I like my house, but I'd love that one. I, I like my salary, but I'd love a bit more. And we've, we've got a life full of nice. But God says, I want to fill your life with good things. Things that satisfy. He says, my youth is renewed like the eagles. There's, there's an obvious link there to what Isaiah would say later on. He said, those who trust in the Lord will do what? They'll find new strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. And, and it pulls us back again to that first line in the psalm. How do I get my renewed youth? By trusting in God. How do I do that? By giving him everything I've got. Those that trust in the Lord find new strength. And then, and then we get in the, in the psalm, we get to the kind of, the, the what, then we get to the why. Why can I trust God? Because he's righteous. It says he gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. And don't get caught up on that word righteous because I know it can, it, it can sound a bit churchy. But it just means God loves right. Uh, and, and throughout God's word, we see that righteousness demonstrated because God wants to defend those who can't defend themselves. And, and time and time again, we see God defending the oppressed, defending widows, comforting the brokenhearted, being close to the poor, the orphans, the outcasts. And he's constantly calling us to be people who do the same. That in this community, we defend the oppressed. We look out for the outcasts. We speak up for the orphans, for the poor, for the lonely. We're called to be people who reflect the righteousness and the justice of God. And, and it's, it starts this shift in the psalm as David takes us from, from why we worship to who we worship. And he calls us to remember God's character. And he says, that, you know, God revealed his character to Moses. He revealed his character to Moses. He revealed his deeds to the people. What's God's character? We'll see it in the next verses. He's compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry. He's filled with unfailing love. And again, that's, that's a phrase we see just repeated through the Bible where it comes from God's own words to Moses. So, so David is quoting uh, probably Deuteronomy. It says that the Lord passed in front of Moses calling Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. David quotes this again in another psalm. He says, God, you're so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for those who ask for your help. Even Jonah, remember Jonah? Jonah who didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Because he said, I knew, God, you were merciful and compassionate. I knew you were slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Church, if we remember one thing this morning, can we remember we've got a God who loves us? And it's not a fleeting, you know, Saturday night love. This is a God that loves us. Unfailingly, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he's, he's, he's faithful in every 
circumstance. And, and David just unpacks this in the next line. He says, listen, he doesn't punish us for our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve. And, and, and David's got a real, you can see David's grasp of reality here. He doesn't deny we get it wrong. He's fully accepting of the fact, you know, we get it wrong. We fall short of God's standards, but he shows us the mercy of God. That he doesn't punish us for our sins, that he's not harsh with us. Even though we might deserve it, but why does he do it? Because his what? Unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great. And I love this line, it's as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Now imagine that, the distance from the earth to the heavens measures the greatness of God's mercy. Now, I'm not sure what David's understanding of space was, but I've just, I thought about this, and, and I'm a bit, a bit geeky like this, and I thought, well, what might David be thinking of? So he may be looking at the sky above him. Now, the sky above us is 62 miles. It's 60, uh, excuse me, 62 miles before you hit space. There's an imaginary line called the Kármán line. It's the line between when you're in Earth and when you're in space. This whole thing about... Um, you know, Richard Branson and Elon Musk, they're doing these, these trips up to space. This is the line they're trying to hit. When they hit this line, you've hit space. It's 62 miles above sea level. So planes fly about seven miles up, give or take. So this line is 62 miles. So the line between our sin and God is 62 miles at its least. Now, I tried to work this out, and again, this is my geeky side coming out. If you take an average person, that's 55,000 people stood on their shoulders. So if you were to stand on your own shoulders, if you could do that, it would take you 55,000 of you to get to that line. So if every one of you represented one day of your life, you could live your entire life twice over. Repeat every sin, every wrong word, every wrong thought, and you still would never exhaust the grace of God. And that's just the edge of the earth. Because when David said the heavens, I don't know what he meant. What if he meant the end of the galaxy? I haven't done the maths for that. <laughs> that's the size of God's mercy. That you could live your entire life over again, exactly the way you've lived it. Commit every sin again, and you would still not exhaust the goodness of God. You'd still not exhaust his mercy. You'd still not exhaust his forgiveness. Now, now not, that's not a license to go and do whatever you want, by the way. But what a, what a reassurance that when I fail, I know he loves me. And I can live under that grace. And look what he says he does to my sin. He's removed our sins as far from the east is from the west. Now, if you thought earth to space was far, east to west is even further. I don't know if you know this. If you head east, you'll never get west. You'll always be going east. North and south, you get to the North Pole, you'll eventually start going south. You get to the South Pole, you'll eventually start going north. That's easy. But east to west, we'll never, ever meet ever. So our sins are removed from it. There's, there's actually, David talks about there's an eternal distance. I don't know if David knew the world was round. But in this psalm, we see that eternal distance. Our sins are removed eternally because of God's mercy. Look at what the, line, the, next, the next line says. The Lord is like a father to his children. 
He's tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Why is he so compassionate? Because he knows how weak we are. Now, there's a happy thought. But David says this, and God knows us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our struggles. He knows our issues. He knows our weaknesses. He, he knows how, how weak we are. And it's like, you know, God has these standards for our lives, but, but he knows we'll find it hard. Now, that doesn't mean God lowers his standards, but he calls us to raise ours. That we live our lives as better people. And it's not there to depress us, by the way, because David does this as a kind of comparative thing. He says, listen, we're just like dust. Our days on earth are like the grass. The wind blows and we're gone as though we had never been here. Happy Sunday, everyone. <laughs> but the idea is he's saying, listen, we're here for a blink of an eye, but God's love's eternal. It's not to bring us down. Actually, it's there to raise God up and say, listen, you've only got a moment on this life, but God's love, it remains forever. It says this, his salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, those who obey his covenant. There's, there's this eternal nature of God's love that actually goes well beyond the, 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 the blink of an eye that we get. And I want to pause on our verse for a moment because actually there's a, there's a theme that's running through this psalm because it ends with this. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant. Those who obey his commandments. If we skip back a few verses, we see this being dropped in again. Verse 11, his unfailing love towards who? Those who fear him. Verse 13, the Lord's like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to who? Those who fear him. Verse 17, the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Now, that word doesn't mean fear, by the way. It doesn't mean we should be afraid of God. God doesn't rule by fear. But he calls us to respect him. He calls us to have awe for him. He calls us to submit to his authority. And it brings us back to that first line again, let all that I am praise the Lord. God, I give you everything. I'm in awe of you. And one of the verses we kept coming back to just before the summer, 2 Chronicles 16, says, the eyes of the Lord, they search the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God loves you. He'll never love you less, but he'll bless you more if you're committed. There's a way to work your way into the favor of God, and that's by being committed to him. And that line leads us to kind of the, the last part of the psalm where David says, okay, well, remember God's position. Remember actually who God is in, in terms of the, the, the cosmos, not just in our lives, but actually in creation itself. It says that the Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there, he rules over everything. Do you know the same God who calls us by name, the same God who knows how many hairs are on our head, the same God who, who rescues us from the wrecks we've made of our lives, is the same God who sits in heaven, who rules over everything. And it's why we get this bit about angels, because David is recognizing his place in creation. He's saying, listen, I'm not alone. I'm not forsaken, I'm not forgotten, I'm not excluded. Actually, I'm joining in with this incredible chorus of heaven that all creation sings praise to God. And guess what? We get to join in. So on a Sunday morning when we come to worship, we're not singing a solo. We're joining creation. 
that says this, praise the Lord, everything he's created. You know, Jesus, Jesus said, if you, if you don't praise me, the rocks will. I'm not going to let a rock take my place. Let everything in creation praise God. Everything in his kingdom. And he lands with this line again. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I'm going to wrap up in a moment, but I just want to go back to the very first thing we did, which is summarize everything that, 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 that David says about God. And we're going to just spend a moment in worship and take a moment actually just to remind ourselves who God is. To remind ourselves what God has done for us. He forgives us of our sins. He heals our disease. He gives us eternal life. He treats us with goodness. He gives justice. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's patient. He doesn't stay angry with us. He doesn't punish us. His love is immeasurable. He removes our sin from us. He's a father. He knows our weaknesses. His kingdom is everlasting. It covers everything in creation. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I don't need any, uh, any more reasons to praise. I don't need any more reasons to, to worship this morning. And I, I want us to, to offer the, the opportunity just, just to worship. And uh, we're going to do that a little differently this morning because we're just going to play a song over you. And, and you can sing, you can pray, you can lift your hands, you can have a little dance. Whatever you feel led to do, but I want us to take these moments just to thank God for all he's done in your life. Thank him for all he's doing in your life. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his compassion. Thank him for his faithfulness. Why don't we pray? Father God, we just want to say thank you. We just want to offer our whole selves to you this morning, that every part of us would praise you for who you are, that we, we, we would praise and thank you for all you've done. God, we've got so much to thank you for, 10,000 reasons and more. So this morning, we choose to praise. We choose to worship in response to your love. We choose to say hallelujah. 